Let's get into today's message. Wake up, Dad. Wake up, Dad. If I could give a gift to Ben or to myself, I could just tell you right now, the greatest gift any man can give himself is this. It's called the gift of self-awareness. So we want to talk about that today. The gift of self-awareness. The gift of self-awareness. In Romans chapter 12, uh, 13, there's a scripture starting in verse number 11. I want to read it from the Phillips translation. It says this. The present time of, of, is of the highest importance. It is time to wake up to reality. Listen to this. The night is almost over. The day has, has almost dawned, or the night is nearly over. The day is almost dawned. Let us arm ourselves for the fight of the day. Listen to it again. The present time, the present time, where you are at right now, what's going on in your life, everything that is happening is of the highest importance. We cannot afford to sleep through seasons. We cannot afford to sleep through years and, uh, of life. We, we can't afford to sleep through months even. It is time to wake up. It is time for us to have a wake-up call. We have to wake up to reality. We can't afford to let time go by. It's too important. The season that we are living in now is just too important. There's a book out there called Tender Warrior written by a Vietnam vet whose name is Stu Weber. And in the very first line of the first chapter, here's what he says. How many men can hear a wake-up call without ever waking up? How many times can a man, listen, hear a wake-up call without actually waking up? My wife and I were counseling a, a lady who came to our church many years ago and She'd come with her family, and it looked like everything was good. Everything was great. And one day she came to us, and she said, my husband didn't come home. He's been gone for days. She began to tell us the story of, of their life, and, and she was considering divorcing him. And we'd never counseled anybody to get divorced. We'd always counsel people there's hope, and, and you need to believe God, and you need to do everything you can to save your marriage. But, but I'd asked her, how many times has this happened? How many times he'd walked away? How many times did he not come home, not answered his phone, just completely abandoned the family? She said, 22 times he's done this before. He's been in 22 rehab centers. 22 times he'd walked away from the family. 22 times he's had the opportunity to have a wake-up call, to, to have this sense of self-awareness, and 22 times he never woke up. And he lost his family. And I remember after she had divorced him and, and even going through that process, he called me up angry saying, hey, 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 why didn't you tell her to, to give me another chance? Why, why didn't you say to her that, that she can't leave me? I said, you've walked away 23 times now. How many times, how many times do you need to hear the bell ring? How many times do you need to understand, listen, this is time for you to wake up. Wake up to reality. It's too important. There's too much to lose. Wake up, Dad. We have too many fathers disengaged, sleeping through seasons. And I believe now God wants to speak to men and say, hey, it's time to wake up. It's, it's time for you to re-engage. It's time for you to, to connect once again with your family. King David actually asked God for his own personal wake-up call. 
In Psalms 139, it says this. David wrote, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart, and try me and know my anxieties. He said, and see if there is any wicked way in me. See if there's anything inside of me that needs to change and lead me in the way uh, everlasting. In other words, David's asking God, God, point out my flaws. Just, Just put a big mirror in front of me and just let me know if I need to make some changes. Let me know if if there's things in my life that I need to adjust, whether they're minor adjustments or major adjustments. David actually asked for correction. Correct me. See, I want those kind of people in my life. I want people who who, who will surround me. If I stink, they can come up to me and say, hey, you stink. You stink. I've been blessed with a few guys in my life. I've been blessed with some people. I, I had one guy that was in a spiritual mentor. He looked at me and he just said, you know, going through marriage counseling, he looked at me and he said, Brian, you are selfish. It's the first time I'd ever been called selfish. I thought, really? Me? <laughs> I was the poster child for it. Right? We had our personal, I should say, I had my personal wake-up call in, in early 2000s. Somewhere around 2003, my wife and I, we've been married for, for years. We had two small children pastoring a small church in a small town, making small money. <laughs> and, I mean, we were struggling in every area of our life, but we were particularly struggling in our marriage. And I was just selfish. I just did what I want when I wanted to do it. I mean, I just, I just did it. I, I never asked. I never consulted. I never cared. I, I really believed I'd married the wrong person and I was just going to be stuck in a, a miserable marriage. And, and I remember we got back from a youth ski trip. We fought the whole time. And Cynthia got back and she grabbed the suitcase out and she started to pack her stuff. And I walked into the guest bathroom of our double-wide mobile home. Come on, somebody. And so you've never lived in one you haven't lived so so I remember looking in this little oval mirror and I remember just staring at the mirror and looking at myself and saying to myself Brian you have got to make some changes and it was at that moment it was like that wake-up call that you're about to lose everything that you love dearly and I remember at that moment I said that's it it's time to change It's time to change. And I began to make changes, and it wasn't overnight. It took a process, and it took some time, and and God's still working on me today. She still doesn't listen to everything that I say, so we still have our fights and arguments and struggles. But God has brought us so far, but it was just that moment, that wake-up call, where I suddenly became self-aware. Self-aware. I mean, isn't that great when you could just actually look in the mirror, that you have people surrounding you that will tell you exactly what's going on in your life. David said, God, would you do that for me? Would you point out everything that's going on? See, there's nothing worse than than living a life where where you're, you're totally unaware of yourself. You think you're way better than you are, and you, you think you got it all together, and you think you're the provider, and you think that, that, that you're the one that, that's holding this whole family together, when really the whole thing's about to fall apart, and you just don't know it. Nothing worse than not being able to really look in the mirror. Every now and then, my wife and I will go out, spend time with people, 
We like people, so we'll spend time with people. We'll go to dinner. We'll have a good time. We'll come home, and, and evidently on the way home, something changes because she'll say to me, you know, honey, you've got a piece of food in your teeth. It's just been sitting there. It really bothers me. You need to do something about that. And, and this is on the way home now. We had spent hours, hours with people. And I say to her, really? You're just now telling me? And she'll say, well, I didn't want to embarrass you in front of everybody. So you let me just talk away? You couldn't give me some signal somewhere, help me out, you know? And so I always tell her, listen, if there's something that needs to change, tell me. I'd rather have the information. See, we go through that way spiritually. We just have people that are just unwilling to just look right at us and say, hey, you need to make some adjustments. You need to change. Whether it's God above who will literally drop this giant wake-up call in our life or we'll have a friend or or something, we have to have moments of self-awareness. There's three things I want to talk to you that we need to be aware of. And the first one is this. Number one, we need to be aware of our humanity. We just need to be aware of our humanity. I'm frail. I, I make mistakes. Guess what? I can lose my temper. I, I can have thoughts that are, that are out there. They're ungodly. I, I, I get cut off in traffic. And guess what? But I can explode with the best of them. Listen, I am human. And we have to understand and be aware of our humanity. An awareness of our humanity drives us to prayer. An awareness of our humanity drives us to read the word of God. An awareness of our humanity realizes that we have to fall on God's grace and mercy every day of our life. I can't make it on my own. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I don't have enough wisdom anywhere in my life to make it without God. I am human and I desperately need God's help. See, it was Peter who was totally unaware, totally unaware of his own humanity when Jesus said to him, you're going to deny me three times. And he says back to Jesus what? I'll never do it. I'll never do that. Oh, everybody else could fall away. Everybody else will walk away. But no, no, I'm, I'm just too good. And all of a sudden, that rooster crowed three times and he realized, no, I denied Jesus. I'm the one. I fell apart. I'm human. I'm frail. And he went out and he wept bitterly. Why? Because he realized, you know what? I am human. It was that wake-up call that he needed. And it totally changed Peter's life. Totally changed his life. So the first thing we need to become aware of is we need to become aware of our humanity. The second thing we need to be aware of is our responsibility. I am aware of my responsibility. That means that I am a husband, I am a father, and I am a Christian. I have responsibility to my church, to support my church and and minister. I have responsibility. I'm talking about all of us. I have responsibility to my home, to my wife, and to my children, to provide for them, to work for them to do whatever I can to support them. And that doesn't just mean financial, although it includes that. It also means spiritual. I'm the spiritual head of the home. I have a responsibility to lead my family spiritually. Somebody said something to me one day that that absolutely shook me, and this is what they said. They said, you know what? Your son, I just had one at the time, your son will be your truest disciple. 
I've got two now. They're 19 and they're six. And I realize every day of my life, my sons will be my truest disciple. And when they told me that, man, that really woke me up. Wow, really? Man, I better act right. I better live right. I better think right. I better do right. Because they are following in my footsteps, whether I want them to, whether I ask them to, guess what? They are watching everything that I do. Not the people in the church, not the people on our, on our leadership team, not the pastors or the elders. No, it's my sons, my children, that are going to be my truest disciples. Boy, that'll scare us, Right? I mean, that'll just shake us. That, that ought to drive us to pray and, and to believe God and, and to stretch out our faith and say, hey, there's got to be more than just nine to five. My son is 19, and, and even though he doesn't live with me now, he, he's off to college right now. He's in Oklahoma City interning at a church. It's our first Father's Day apart. Aw, somebody give me some help here. First Father's Day away from each other. But I know, thank you. Can we, we don't need a ding for that one, but, but, it's a, but I realized, listen, I still got a six-year-old, and he watches me, buddy. He watches me, and he's a challenge, man, because he is active. We gave up. I painted, painted the house when we first moved in. We moved in about a year ago. Gave up. Stopped painting. We still have the kitchen to do. Nope, not going to do it. We'll do it when he moves out. We got a bathroom to paint. No. We got marks. We got crayons. We got holes. We got scratches. We got all this stuff. Hey, listen, we'll be clean, organized, and have nice stuff when the kids move out. Okay? Until then, I quit. I just quit. But he's watching me, and I have a responsibility, and every day I have to wake up being totally aware of my responsibilities. And then the third one is this I, I have to be aware of my ministry. You say, Pastor, I'm not in ministry. Oh, yes, you are. You're all in ministry. Every one of us are in ministry. Whether you're on the platform or whether you're in a seat, whether you're working with, with the food pantry or small group or, or out there on the streets ministering to people, whatever it is you do, that is ministry. And it's just as important as any other ministry because it's what God has, God has called you to do. You have a ministry. You have a responsibility. You have a place. God did not create you and bring you to himself just so you could attend church every now and then, right? He, he created you for a reason, for a purpose. There is destiny. There is the plan of God. God has put talents and gifts and abilities on the inside of you. You were born for a reason. God made you with his own hands. He put you together, and you have a purpose. Amen? You have a ministry God's called you to do. And you have to be fully aware of what God has called you to do. We can't get to the end of our days and say to ourselves, well, one day when I retire or, or one day when I do this or do that, then I'll do the plan of God. No, you need to do it right now. The present time, the present time is of the utmost, the highest importance. It is time to be busy. Amen? You have a ministry. If you have your Bibles, I want us to read from Genesis 32. Because I was looking and I was thinking, I was praying about this week, and I was saying to myself, what's the ultimate wake-up call in the Word of God? Who had the greatest wake-up call of them all? 
I began to think of the prodigal son. The prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, the Bible says that when he had spent it all, when he had lost it all, his friends walked away. The Bible says in Luke 15 that he actually came to himself. Suddenly became self-aware. Suddenly in the, in the pig slop and, and living so far below where he used to live, he came to himself. But then I began to think some more and, and pray, and God dropped this man in my heart, a guy by the name of Jacob. And I want to read, starting in, in Genesis chapter 32, verse number 24, it says, Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When he saw that he did not prevail against him, he, this man being God, touched the socket of his hip, and the socket of Jacob's hip was out of joint. And he wrestled with him. And he said, let me go for the day breaks. But he, Jacob, said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. What was Jacob doing there alone? Well, if you follow his story, Jacob was a twin. And he actually was named Jacob, which in the Hebrew is deceiver, trickster. How would you like to be called that all your life? Hey, deceiver, dinner time. Deceiver, put that down. Deceiver, don't play with that. Don't eat that. I mean, all of his life, every time somebody called him by name, they literally called him a deceiver, a trickster, a liar. All his life. And he lived up to his name. If you look at his history, he was always manipulating he was always, always trying to just manipulate the situation. He was always trying to just work things out for his benefit and his favor. My first year of ministry, I lived in a rehab center as a minister. I always got to put that addendum on. With anywhere from, could have been 8, 10, 12 guys, 15 guys in one house with one bathroom. It was a blessing. You got up early. That's how, I mean, you got up early to go to that bathroom. You showered first, praise God. Anyway, so I was living in, in my first couple months, I was living with these guys, and I remember the first week, I, I was just like, man, these guys are great guys. They're telling me their story. I'm like, oh, man, they've had it so hard, right? About three or four months in, I go, these guys are demon-possessed, every one of them. They're not even saved. All of a sudden, the layers begin to come, back, come out, and I just begin to realize all they do is manipulate. They lie constantly, and they manipulate, and they try to, they try, they come across real good at first, but then you begin to see the layers come off their life, and you realize they're just manipulating. They're just, st they're still doing it. All these guys with so much to lose. Husbands and fathers. People with, with careers and businesses. But because of the drug and the alcohol addiction, they lost everything. And here they are in a rehab center, which should be this incredible wake-up call. And for a few of them, it was. A few of them got it, man. They said, no, no, it's time to make major changes. But most of them, man, they were still doing the same stuff. 
still manipulating, still trying to, to work things out in their favor, still trying to get away with stuff. Just had never had that wake-up call. And that was Jacob, man, his whole life, just constantly manipulating. huh? And he ended up stealing his birthright, stealing from his older brother, or actually his twin brother, but his brother had come out first. And his brother was a hunter and, 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 and you know, apparently, you know, was, was pretty intense. And when Jacob was told, hey, your brother, whom you stole your birthright from, hey, he's coming to look for you. Jacob got really scared. And in his fear, he turned to that manipulation and, and began to set up kind of barriers and, and, and try to manipulate his way. And he probably was going to try to talk his way out of getting killed by his older brother. And guess what happened? He found himself alone, and in that moment, God showed up. And you talk about a wake-up call. Jacob was in for a wake-up call. And he began to wrestle with God. Now, this wasn't the kind of wrestling with God where it was even. This is me wrestling with my six-year-old, right? And where I wrestle with him, and, you know, at any moment now, I'm stronger than him. I don't know for how much longer, but I'm stronger than him at least for now. And when we wrestle, I let him think he's got the advantage. I let him think he's got me, but really at any moment I could turn the table. That was just, that's what it was like, God wrestling with Jacob. But God asked Jacob an incredible question. Look at verse number 27. God asked Jacob this question. It says this, So he, God, said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And God said, he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have struggled with God and with men and have prevailed. God asked this question, and the question is, hey, what is your name? God knew his name. God wanted Jacob to say it. Here's what, here's what God, here's what actually happened. God wanted Jacob to have this moment of self-awareness. He wanted to put a big mirror right in front of Jacob. And say, I want you to own up to who you are. I want you to own up to it. I want you to own up to the lies. I want you to own up to the manipulation. I want you to own up to the deceiving. I want you to own up to all of it. And Jacob had a choice. He could have chosen to lie you know, some more and manipulate some more. But he looked at God and he said, My name is Jacob. I'm a deceiver. I'm a liar. And the moment he said that, here's what God did. God said, no longer will you be called liar, deceiver, trickster. Your new name is Israel, which means prince with God. Huh? Why is it at that moment God did that? Because Jacob had this incredible moment of self-awareness. And in that moment, God said to him, your past is now forgiven. Today's a new day. It's a brand new day. And all the mistakes and the failures and all the things that you did wrong, when you have that wake-up call, that moment of self-awareness, where you really get it, God takes your past, man, he forgives it, he wipes it clean, he puts your feet on a brand new path. Listen to me, what happens to me. Every now and then, I'm with Cynthia, and we'll be on the couch watching TV, or we'll be at dinner, or we're doing something, and every now and then I have these moments of regret, just like a wave that comes over me. Because I say to myself, 
I lost years. I did. I lost years. I lost some important years where my kids were little, where we could have had so much fun. We could have went out. Kata was little. Hannah was just a little baby, a little toddler running around. And we could, have, we could have had so much fun and been happily married at that moment. But instead, I just let her go off. I let her go to amusement parks by herself. She went to Disney World by herself. You know, I didn't go. I told her I had to work. I was selfish. I worked on Saturday. I worked every day. I, was, I, was just, I, I went to work on purpose. And I, every, moment, every now and then I have these moments where I say to myself, man, Brian, you blew it. And I wish I could rewind the clock. Does anybody ever wish they could rewind the clock a little bit? I wish I was a better husband. And even, I even say it to her, God, I, Cynthia, I wish I was a better husband back then. But do you know what? That's the enemy trying to get me depressed and down and say, oh, I blew it, I made mistakes, those years are gone. But here's what God does. God says, you know what, I've forgiven you. Huh, you, you had your wake-up call, now you help other guys to get a wake-up call. And here's what he did. All those years that I lost, God has restored things to me. He's just showed me, hey, you're forgiven, and you can't change the past. But guess what? You can change the future. You can change the future.